0: Alright guys, welcome to the first ever Crusher Media Football Podcast. I want to start this podcast by saying congratulations to the women's England team who just won 2-1 in overtime against the Germans in the Euro Finals. So congratulations for winning the European Championships, England's women. Now, let's get into what I actually want to start talking about today. So I personally am a Chelsea fan. If you follow me on TikTok, you probably already know that. But since this is the first podcast, I thought I would say that I love Chelsea. Funny story. The way I became a Chelsea fan is that when, because I'm from the States, so we don't, we have MLS here, but I'm not really a big fan of MLS. I think European clubs are way more interesting because that's where the best players play. And. The way I became a fan of Chelsea is that my brother, one was fans of Real Madrid and one was a fan of Man United. And basically I was 10 years old and they both looked at me and they're like, you know, we hate Chelsea. So they're the most annoying club ever. So of course, as an annoying little brother, I was like, I'm going to have to be a Chelsea fan. And, you know, like 10 years later, here we are still supporting that team week in, week out. Now, I want to thank Todd Bowley for becoming and saving this club I really appreciate Roman Abramovich and everything he did for the club as a fan as a younger fan all I ever knew as a Chelsea fan was Roman Abramovich and I want to thank all the money and time and success he gave the club but then I also want to thank Todd Boley for coming in and saving us from maybe collapsing if no one came in to purchase us because you know, with everything that happened with Ukraine and Russia, Abramovich wasn't gonna be able to stay. And I appreciate Todd Boley for saving this club. With that being said, I do not like almost anything he has done so far. So let me give you a little bit of history about Todd Boley. So Todd Boley has per or owns three teams in America. The LA Sparks, which is a women's basketball team. He also is a partial owner of the L.A. Dodgers, which is a very, very successful baseball team, and the L.A. Lakers, which is a very successful basketball team. But here's some of my problems with that. For those who know American sports, I don't know how much you guys do or do not know about American sports, but the L.A. Lakers missed the playoffs this past season, which was really controversial for them because they were supposed to make the playoffs, they have LeBron James right now, and if you don't know, I feel like even if you don't know basketball, you know who LeBron James is, but if you don't, he's basically like a Messi of basketball, and they had LeBron James, and they missed the playoffs, and the way American sports work is, like, there's like, about half the league normally makes the playoffs, so you have to be in the top half of the league to make the playoffs, and they missed the playoffs. And they also had, um, they had Russell Westbrook, who is also a really high-profile player, and they basically had a bunch of young players that they traded out for a bunch of old, more experienced heads to overpay those experienced heads because the LA teams have a lot of money, and they had less success and. If you kind of get where I'm going with this, also, he owns the LA Dodgers, and they just brought in Freddie Freeman, who's a really good baseball player this past season, and he was at the Atlanta Braves for a long time, and they kind of gave him his shot, and then he became one of the best players in the league there, but then the Dodgers offered him a lot of money, so he went to the Dodgers, but he seemed unpassionate and doesn't really care. There's a famous video going around of him when he went back to play the Braves for the Dodgers, like, crying at home plate because how much he missed the Do- or playing for the Braves, and it seems like he really doesn't care about the Dodgers. And basically, what I'm trying to say is, like, yeah, money is great, but, like, in both these instances, in teams that he also owns, the money isn't solving all the problems, so there needs to be more than just money going on. So, yeah, if you can see where I'm going with this, it's basically like, yeah, I, I mean, Sterling is is great, but, like, how great is Sterling really going to be? It's Pep Guardiola, let him go. Shouldn't that be a red flag? I know his contract was almost up, and he wanted to play more, but here's some statistics on, on Sterling. In my opinion, Sterling is out of his prime as a winger. He's 27 going on 28. Rooney, Wayne Rooney, who famously burned out early, made his debut at the age of 16 and made a total of 421 Premier League appearances. Now, let's let's compare that to how many Sterling has made. Sterling made his debut at age 17 and has made 320 Premier League appearances. Wayne Rooney started to burn out around the 15-16 season, and after that season, he had 50... E6 Premier League appearances. So if you subtract the 421 by 56 or so, you're down around in the 400 or 365 Premier League games when around Wayne Rooney burned out. And I know Wayne Rooney kind of had problems staying in shape at times, but let's just take that as a base route. So that would give If that's true, and Sterling burns out in about 30 games, that's going to give him basically this season, and then after that, he's going to start to burn out, and I really see that being the case, and let's take another position who's more a winger, because I think personally, the things that balance out Wayne Rooney and Sterling it's Wayne Rooney was a striker, and strikers can tend to last longer, but since Wayne Rooney started earlier and wasn't always in the best shape, he burned out relatively earlier. But Sterling is on the wing, started early, it's probably consistently in better shape than Wayne Rooney was, but he plays on the wing, and wingers tend to hit their prime from 25 to 27, so he's already past his prime. So, Oh, let's compare him to another winger. Eden Hazard made his debut at 16 for Lille and has not been the same player since he moved to Real Madrid in 2018 at the age of 28, which is just past the prime of a winger. I know that Eden Hazard moved to Real Madrid and he hasn't seen motivated sense, but still, like you just have to look at these statistics and have this as a clear warning sign that this signing is probably not the best thing. Especially when you look at it, and we have Callum hudson odoi we have Mason Mount, we have Christian Pulisic, Timo Werner, all kind of voiding for these spots. The only one that I would be fine trading Sterling for is Hakim Ziyech, because at least they're around the same age, you know. And I know a lot of those players has disappointed, but they're good talents and they performed other or places. We just need to get our attack in order, and I just feel like Sterling's not going to help with that, and even if he does, he's only going to be good for a max probably two more seasons, which just doesn't make sense for buying them, with the state Chelsea is in, you know, and then the other signing that we've made is Kaladu Koulibaly, he's the age of 31, and Tiago Silva, who's probably going to be a center back pairing, is 37, we can't, and we let go of Mark Gehe, and we let go of Fakayu Tamori. We have Levi Caldwell on the on the books, who um is just like a really good young center back. So I just I don't know why we aren't giving them the shot. Why would we pay this kind of money for Koulibaly? And I know we let go of Tamori, and I know we let go of Gehe under the old ownership, but I'm sure. I know we have a buyback clause on Gehi, and I'm not sure about Tomori, but I, he already won Serie A with Milan. I think if we tried to bring him back, we probably could. He would be more expensive than Koulibaly, but he would be much more worth an investment. And I know he would look stupid after we sold him, but that was a different ownership. You could chalk that up to that and just say, and I think Todd Boley could be a real hero if he could bring back Fakayo Tomori, because I feel like most Chelsea fans want to see him back. And... I would say Koulibaly is really a good comparison to Freddie Freeman, because Freddie Freeman was given a big shot by the Atlanta Braves, and has loyalty to that team, and was there a long time, and Koulibaly was at Napoli a long time, like, how much is he really gonna care coming to Chelsea? I know he hasn't really won a lot of trophies, and so maybe he'll care about winning trophies, but... Truth be told, that's my biggest problem with these Chelsea signings. They're in the short term. We aren't at the level of Liverpool and City. At the beginning of last season, we thought maybe we were. And now it was clearly showing that we weren't. You know, that Champions League run was a good run. And we're a top five team probably in Europe. But there is just another leap to be had to consistently compete with Man City and Liverpool. That doesn't mean teams like Real Madrid can't knock these teams out in a two-legged draw or a one-on-off game in a final. Consistently over the season, no one is competing with Liverpool and Man City over the next two to three years. So why does it make any sense to sign players who probably at max have two to three good years left? So these signings don't make any sense to me, Arsenal, what they're doing makes a lot more sense to me, because they're building up this young core that is still probably like four years out of their prime, like Saka's got some time like Martinelli, Emile Smith-Rowe, even Martin Odegaard, who's one of the more senior members of that attack still has more time. They brought in Gabby Jesus, who, I mean, has played a lot, and Mikel Arteta really knows him from his time at Man City, but he still has a lot of time left in his career that in four years, when hopefully Pep moves on and Jurgen Klopp moves on and Liverpool and Man City start to fall off a little bit, you could see a chance where if they can't keep this core together and add a few pieces at Arsenal, they're going to be doing really well. But what you see at Chelsea is that you got some young players like Reese James and Mason Mount making real strides towards the right thing. And even, like, Ben Chilwell could be in that group. And, like, maybe you see one of, like, Christian Pulisic or one of them turn out successful. But for the most part, we're just replacing these younger players with older. We got older over this transfer window. We don't want to do that. And we still have a lot of this deadwood that we need to sell on that's older and I know, like, all of the, like, the Deadwood isn't Todd Bowley's fault, but these signings are, and we also just got to talk about how he hasn't brought in, we lost Marina Groniskaya, we lost Peter Cech, and he hasn't brought anyone else in to replace him, so, like, what are we doing here? How, what, what do we have to do to be successful? In my opinion, we lost out on Jules Kunde. that was a big L, I just, I'm not a fan of that. So, here's my opinion on what Chelsea needed to do and hasn't. I think we needed to switch to a four-back because we lost too many center-backs. We didn't need to play a three-back anymore. I think we could have been fine with a two-back unless Tuchel doesn't believe Thiago Silva can play in a two-back or two-center-back pairing or a four-back. That's up to him, but uh, that was my opinion that we needed to switch, and I think we might still do that. Um... So now we grab Thiago Silva, and then we probably needed to buy someone like a Jules Kounde or whatever. And then our midfield is aging. Conte is aging. He was clearly showing it last year. Jorginho didn't have a great year, and I think he wants to go back to Serie A in a year. And then Mateo Kovacic. So we needed to pick up a young center midfielder, and we haven't done that. And I do agree that Sterling is kind of the right position to aim for. Because we do need a goal-scoring winger, but we just needed someone younger than him. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure how or where we should have gone for that, but there were better options out there. I mean, Rafinha plays on the opposite side, but I could very much see that working. I would have really liked to see Usmane Dembele chased much harder than he was because it took him a while before he re-signed that contract with barcelona and they probably had to work through a lot of things there so i feel like there was an opportunity there for Usmani dembele and i feel like these are all real miss signings from chelsea's point of view that we needed to capture and capitalize on and we just did not and we failed to and i just I'm really frustrated as a Chelsea fan because it seems like we're trying to win now when all winning now is going to do is get us into third place. But you guys can tell me what you think about that. Uh, That's just my opinions on the Chelsea situation. Like I said, I'm very grateful that Topoli has come in there and saved our club. We need to add some more infrastructure. We need to recruit younger. We need to look to win a Premier League in the next two to three years, not... Or, not two to three years. After the next two to three years, we should probably be looking at starting a dynasty like Man City and Liverpool did. And I feel like this isn't the right way about trying to build it. Buying for the success now just never seems to work anymore. Just ask Manchester United. Alright, now we've talked about a team that I think hasn't had the greatest window, and I want to talk about a big team that I think has had a good window. I wouldn't say this is necessarily the best window out here, out there, and I think once all of the transfer window is over, I'll probably recap the team that I thought I had the best window and the team I thought I had the worst window, but for me, this is a good window so far for Bayern Munich. You may be thinking, how could Bayern Munich be having a big, win- a good window right now? They lost Robert Lewandowski. Well, let's be real. Robert Lewandowski didn't want to be there anymore, and they sold him for forty-five million with to a cash-stricken, cash-stricken Barcelona with one year left on his contract. I don't see how that's a bad deal for them, especially when they then brought in Sadio Mane, who also had one year left on his contract. For 38, reportedly about 38 million in Euros. 7 million less. And I know Robert Lewandowski's been the best straight-on striker in Europe in a long time. But let's look back. They have Julian Nagelsmann as their coach. Nagelsmann got the best out of Timo Werner. You know who's a very similar player comp, in my opinion, to Timo Werner? Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane can play up front. And he also plays more off the wing and likes to drift to the left-hand side, cut in, and score. That's what Mane is best at. And he was playing through the middle with Klopp towards the end of the season. And that's what Timo Werner did for Nagelsmann. He drifted left wide, picked the ball up early, liked to dribble through, and score. And I guarantee you, it's freaking Nagelsmann can get Timo Werner 28 goals who couldn't really do much of anything in the Prem. No offense, Werner. I like you, but you haven't done what Mane did in the Prem. If he can do that out of Timo Werner, I feel like he can get more out of Sadio Mane this season. And speaking of Sadio Mane, getting stuff out of Sadio Mane, they just had a game today in the DFL Super Cup against RB Leipzig. And guess who scored Sadio Mane, in his first competitive game for Bayern Munich, played up front and scored. Their lineup was Mane up front, Muller at CAM, Gnabry Gnabry at the right wing, Musiala at left wing, Kimmich at CDM with Subitzer at center mid, Davies on the left-hand side of defense, Hernandez and Upa Meccano as center-back pairings, Pavard on the right, and Manuel Neuer on the left or at goalkeeper sorry and let's look at some of the players they could bring off of the bench Kingsley Coleman came off the bench Leroy Sané came off the bench Matthias DeLicht came off the bench Ryan Graven came off the bench and Mazzarawe came off the bench okay and now let's look at their new signings a lot of those new signings came off the bench Matthias Tell, I think I'm saying that right, is a 17-year-old forward that they paid $30 million for out of rent. He played nine games last year in Liga, and he wasn't that special, but he's 17. They obviously see something in him. He's an investment for the future. I don't know enough about him to say my opinion on him, but I generally trust Bayern, and they're pretty good at things like this. Matthias DeLict, they paid $67 million to get him out of Juventus. Juventus lost money on Matthias like not nearly as much as I think it was, but this player has been so good before, and I think Julian Nagelsmann plays quite similarly to Eric Ten Hag in a possession, kind of, they like to be dominant on the ball, not so defensive on the back foot, and in interviews that I've seen with him since his move to Bayern Munich, He's reciprocated that he didn't really like the way he had to defend at Juventus and how he had to play, and I think it was a bad move on Juventus's part to get rid of him, and he had a different coach every year since he was at Juve, starting with Sarri, then Pirlo, then uh, Allegri his last season before just being sold this summer, and I think that's going to be a good signing that's going to get be great for their defense. Ryan Gravenberch is a young midfielder from Ajax that they only signed for $18.5 million because, again, they capitalized on the fact that his contract was expiring soon. So that's another great signing. He's a young player of the area that I would expect, even if he doesn't succeed now because he's only 18, he's just going to keep getting better and better and better, and he's going to grow in that system. And clearly, Nagelsmann likes team. Uh, likes these players out of the Ajax Academy, because that's two, and then they signed Maserawi the right back out of Ajax, for free, because his contract was expiring, and I think, sneakily, this might be the best signing, value-wise, because they got him in for free, and Benjamin Pavard plays right back most often, like Kimmich can also play there, and a few other players can also play there for Bayern, but it makes most sense to get this player in, because he can play that right-back position, which I feel like it's probably, if you look at the Bayern starting lineup, most often the weakest position is that right-back position. So that signing is great for me. And then, obviously, as I said already, they signed Sadio Mane for $38 million, But they also have had outgoing. So let's look at the outgoing. So they got rid of Chris Richards, who really didn't play for them a young American center back to Crystal Palace on an undisclosed fee. And I think that's a good signing for Palace, but also good for Byron to get some money for a player who really doesn't play for them. And then Omar Richards, a player they signed last year, who's a left back from Reading, is now going back to England to play for Nottingham Forest on an undisclosed fee, not a loan. I didn't include any loans on this player outgoing list. Lewandowski left the club for $45 this summer, which is a really good price to get someone of that uh, who's 32 or 33 years of age for $45 million with his contract expiring next year. That's a great price to get for him, especially he didn't want to be at the club anymore. And So this is my thoughts on Mane versus Lewandowski. Mane fits a lot more of that fluid, going all over the place kind of style that Julian Nagelsmann likes to play and has consistently played with his strikers, with players like Timo Werner, where Lewandowski is much more of a center point striker that is going to sit in there and score you goals and do that kind of stuff, but he's not going to be running all over the place, setting stuff up and doing all the things that Nagelsmann generally likes to do. So I think, although Lewandowski is a great player and will succeed in that Nagelsmann system, because Mane is a better fit for the system He's going to be a better player for Nagelsmann, even if Lewandowski is a better player. Now, let's look on to the next one. Mark Roca, a player they signed relatively cheaply from, I believe, Espanyol a few years back. They sold for $18 millions to Leeds. He also didn't really play very often for them. That's a good signing for Leeds, I feel like, because they needed some center defensive mid help. But it's also really good business for Bayern getting rid of some of their deadwood, something like Chelsea cannot seem to do for a decent fee. Now, this next outgoing is the one that I don't really like, but because of one of the players they brought in kind of even things out. They let go of Nicholas Sula for a free to Dortmund, and I think that's going to be a good signing for Dortmund, and I feel like that might be something Bayern regret, but with Matthias Delik coming in, they still got a clear upgrade. Even if Nicolas Sula, I think, is a relatively good player and they shouldn't have let him go for free. And they also let Tolisso go for free, which is like whatever. He was a good player but couldn't stay fit. So, honestly, these signings just solidify for me that you should not bet against Bayern to win the Bundesliga. They are clearing away the favorites. They are going to win the Bundesliga. These are good signings. I feel like fit in what Nagelsmann wants to do, and they're going to be even better than they were the year before. I don't think they're quite ready to be on the Manchester City and Liverpool levels like some other, you know, I feel like they're the step down. You go probably Man City, then Liverpool, then the next best team. It's probably now Bayern Munich because of this transfer window, I think has solidified them as the third-best team in Europe, so I feel like they could challenge for the Champions League, but they're not quite there, and I feel like with PSG necessarily, they couldn't quite reach that Bayern. Bayern are above PSG because of Christophe Geltier is an unknown quantity in such a high-profile locker room because we've seen so many great coaches go in and out of that PSG locker room without succeeding just because of the toxicity and there's just so much they're trying to change all that this summer by also getting in a new sporting director and I respect all those decisions but I don't think that's going to be an instant thing so I would expect them to have somewhat of a rough patch next season and hopefully they just stick through it and keep pushing in the right direction so yeah I really think these signings are great for Bayern Munich I think pretty much everything on here all those signings are good I don't see any of them as downsides I think maybe they maybe have paid a little bit too much for Matthias Delict, because he hasn't had a good three years at Juventus but he's still clearly one of the best center backs in the world at his best and I don't think the overpay is that big of a deal if he just succeeds in the way I think he will succeed at Bayern Munich. So I yeah, honestly a big fan of these. Like I really like the Mane signing, and I think there's a pretty good chance with Erling Holland and Lewandowski gone on the Bundesliga that Mane has gonna win the golden boot in the Bundesliga. I would if I was anyone else. If I was betting on who would win the Bundesliga Golden Boot, I would put Sadio Mane forward for that. So yes, please tell me like what you think about all this, but I think Bayern, clearing away favorites in the Bundesliga, Sadio Mane probably going to get 25 goals plus. That's my thoughts on Bayern and they've had a great summer. Alright, I know this is a popular topic. But I feel like I need to touch on it, but I don't want to spend forever on it. Barcelona has spent way too much money this season. They've taken out basically, they've sold 10% of their commercial revenue for the next like 10 years or something like that. For the like 200 million this summer to buy... Players like Rafinha and Lewandowski, which I don't understand. I don't understand. You took out a loan in January to sign Ferran Torres and Adama Traore. And I know Adama Traore went back, but like, and Abameyang. So you have Abamying there. You have Ferrin Torres. You have Ansu Fateh. Um, Usmane Dembele, you got re signed on it. And then you got Lewandowski. And ugh, I feel like I'm forgetting one. So Usmane Dembele, Lewandowski. Rafinha, Ansu Fati, um, Aubameyang, Ferran Torres. that six players vying for all those spots. It's just, it's not logical. You didn't need all that. I feel like there's probably going to be a good chance. It's going to be Ansu Fati on the left, Lewandowski up front, and Rafinha on the right, and I feel like there's a good chance they're going to, battle Real Madrid for La Liga this year because without bringing in Mbappe, they, Real Madrid are still lacking a lot up front. Benzema is not going to do what he did last season for Real Madrid again. I just feel like there's no way he does that because Benzema basically was on Ballon d'Or for him last season and you can't promise someone that old to keep doing that and I know Vinicius was good, but if you take Benzema out of that team, let's say he gets hurt or something like that, they're in real deep, which, like, I get, I get that, but, like, this was too much from Barcelona, I feel like they were heading in the right direction, and now they're leveraging their future again for their current, and that just cannot be happening, there's too many attackers there, they... I know. I'm glad they invested in Jules Kounde in the defense. That's a smart signing for them. But I feel like they really needed a center defensive midfielder, and I and they're talking about selling Frankie De Jong, which sounds like they're not gonna do now. But like they needed to sell Frankie De Jong to fund these things. But then it's like, why would you sell Frankie De Jong when he's much more valuable than having Rafinha for seventy million, who's the same exact player as Usmane Dembélé, except Usmane Dembélé can play on the left or the right, where Rafinha is really just strong off the right, because he's very one-footed, where Uthmane Dembele is not, so this just makes no sense to me, it's a really bad sign, a really bad summer, I think it may, I think they might succeed in the next year or two, but again, they're going to continue to feel this effect year, year when they get 10%, And 10% and 10% and 10% off on their money. They're going to probably lose money in the long term. And they sacrifice money in the long term for the short term success. And this is something Barcelona keep doing. And no matter what, whether it's Bartomeu or Juan Laporta, it seems like they keep running this club into the ground. And I cannot get behind what they're doing. Even if these signings would be good because of the financial aspect, I just can't get behind it. And I'm really sorry if you believe in these signings, but it's just not for me. And I think they wasted way too much money on an attack that didn't need that much influxed into it. Okay, so we've talked about some three big clubs. We've talked about Chelsea, we've talked about Bayern Munich, and we've talked about Bayern... Or Barcelona, sorry. So now I want to talk about a little bit of a smaller club. It's a Premier League club because I'm more knowledgeable about Premier League clubs. But I really want to talk about this club as an American. Going into the season, obviously I'm still going to be a Chelsea fan. But this is going to be my second team. Because Jesse Marsh, the manager of Leeds United, is American. And you know what? He's brought some American flavor to the Leeds United team. So first signing was Brendan Aronson. A player that Jesse Marsh worked with at RB Salzburg, and it had real success there. And he was bought from RB Salz- Um, he was brought from the states to Austria to RB Salzburg. Had a few good years there, and I think he's really good. I watched him not really play in MLS, and I never really watched him at Salzburg. But I do watch most of the USA game, And when he plays, he kind of plays as a dynamic eight. I mean, occasionally we switch him all over the place because we kind of lack some quality in some positions. So he's kind of played on the wing at occasions, kind of played at 10. But I think his best position is like a dynamic eight, like a free-roaming eight, because he's got a lot of energy to him. He runs all over the place. He's a great player. And he can be creative, got good passing. And I think him with the addition of Tyler Adams in the midfield at center defensive mid is a really good signing because Adams and him are both American and have a good connection with each other. They they are good players together. And you know what else about Tyler Adams? Tyler Adams has also worked with Jesse Marsh for his little short spell at, well, actually, Jesse Marsh worked with, Tyler Adams, when they were both at New York Red Bull, before Tyler Adams then went to Germany, and then Jesse Marsh went to Salzburg, and then after Salzburg, Jesse Marsh went to Germany to then work with Tyler Adams again. So these two guys know each other quite well, and I think those are going to be good signings. And then they also brought in Mark Rucka, who is an undervalued player, played really well at Espanol. Which was, uh, you know, another relegation fight, which I do think there's a good chance Leeds are going to be in. And then Christensen was another player from Salzburg, the right back that they brought in, which I think is a good signing because Luke Ayling, they needed some more help there. And then Sinistera is the one unknown for Jesse Marsh, who he brought in for Fire Nord for about $21 million, who had 12 goals and 7 assists in the Eredivisie. Divisie. But we all know that the Air Divisie, you know, you can have real success out of the Eredivisie. divisi and you can have not very much success. And we've looked at the past few years and seen a lot of not very good successes. Like Hakim Ziak came out of there and not had some great success. We've looked at Donnie Van De Beek and United and Everton. And he hasn't really had a lot of great success out of the Air Divisie. So we're not, I'm not really sure about that signing, but. With Rafinha going out for $55 million and Phillips going out for $42 million, Leeds United, I think, might be one of the most interesting teams to watch at the beginning of the season because they are in such a turnover. This is the first preseason Jesse Marsh has had with this team. They were very close to relegation last season, and it's arguable they because they lost their two best players, they got worse. But I think they might be better... Because Jesse Marsh really has his fingerprint on this se- team with these new signings. Because I think one of the biggest problems with new signings generally is adapting to the new system and then also adapting to the new league. At least these guys aren't going to have to adapt to the system. Because Aronson, Adams, and Christiansen have all played under him before. And so then Rocca, I mean, I, he will probably have to adapt, but he's also used to relegation fights, and I think there's probably a good chance that they're going to be somewhere in the bottom half of the table. I don't see them getting much above, like, 12th at best. If they have a good season, I could see 12th, but I see realistically probably around 15th, but I think they're going to be too good to get relegated. I think these signings are good. I think a lot of the promoted teams haven't done enough. Yeah, a lot of those promoted teams haven't done enough, and I'm going to do my Premier League predictions for next week's podcast, but yeah, I think these are really good signings that are very smart for Leeds United. They fit the way they want to play. They fit their manager. They got this American thing going for them, so... I think that's also smart because me as an American fan, then I look at Brendan Aronson and I look at Tyler Adams, and I'm gonna watch them be playing in 2022 for Qatar for my American team, and then I see them playing for Leeds. It's like, oh, maybe I want to be a Leeds fan. And make themselves an American fan base, and I think that's really smart on their part. So. I think that is a smart move by them, so let's see how else this goes, but I think they could have a relatively better season than they did last year and continue to grow and make this Jesse Marsh project work, and I think that was smart of them. All right, so I just want to talk about a few quick things, like quick questions before we get through to the end of the podcast. We've talked about Four different full teams and kind of their scenarios. These are just individual questions about individual topics that I wanted to go over. Okay, so one of the most popular topics around lately has been where will Ronaldo end up? Because he, I mean, according to the club, has the club's permission to skip their preseason tour. He really just doesn't want to be there without Champions League football. But The truth is, he's not going anywhere else. Ronaldo will be a Manchester United player come September the 1st. There is no other if, whens, buts about it. He's going to be a Man United player. No one else is paying that kind of wages, plus a fee, to get him out of Manchester United. It's unfortunate for him, but with that age and everything, and the way he kind of needs everything to revolve around him, it's not really shocking that no one wants to pick him up. So, he's kind of stuck where he is for now. I don't think... I don't think he's going to go to Atletico Madrid, I don't think they want him, to be honest, and I don't think he wants to do that. I don't think he wants to betray the Real Madrid fans in that way and ruin his own legacy there. The only club I could see him going to is maybe Sporting, but I don't see why he would do that. I think he still thinks he's above that level for right now. Now, the next question is, will Darwin Nunez succeed at Liverpool? See, this one is interesting, because I was not a fan of this transfer when he was being linked to, like, Man United and stuff like that. I was not a fan. And then he gets linked to Liverpool, and I change my tune. And I tell you why. I didn't really like the Diego Jota signing. And look how that turned out. I... When when Sadio Mane happened, I was kind of confused why they paid all that money for him. And look how that turned out. I I honestly liked the Mohamed Salah signing when they first made it. And I wasn't sure about the Luis Diaz. But at that point, I was really starting to trust Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp and that organization and attacking players just are like peanut butter and jelly. They are just going to work. He's going to work. Even if he doesn't work this season, he's going to work. The only signings you can really look at that Liverpool team and say they haven't really worked are injury hit players like Naby Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain. If you can tell me another player that's gone into that Liverpool team and hasn't worked because and in like the Klopp era that doesn't have to do with injuries like adds to you. I can't think of any in the moment, and even if there is one, it's like one or two. They have a really high hit rate, and if they were willing to put all this money into him, I trust that they know what they're doing with them. they know what they want to do with them. they know how they're going to use them, and they have a set plan that's going to be great for Darwin Nunez as well as Liverpool. I mean, I don't think he's going to be the main man next season with Salah still there and Luis Diaz and Firmino and whatever, and even if he doesn't play a lot next season. He's going to be a success in the long term because I trust that system. They've been doing things right for too long to spend the most amount of money they have on a player and mess it up. I think if they were willing to put this kind of cash down on Darwin Nunez, they knew exactly what they were getting. Alright, the next quick question is, what has been the best value player so far? And I think it has to be Yves Basuma to Tottenham. He's transferred for $25 million, which is not a lot. They've been rumored to get more like $50 million before for him. And I feel like he could be a very Conte-ish signing for Spurs. Because Conte, and I mean Engolo Conte. Because Conte, Antonio Conte, signed N'Golo Conte for Chelsea in his first season. And then we went out and won the league. And he played in a 3-4-3 with... You know, um, whoever he played with, it was either Matic or Sask, I believe, and he played them in a two. And Angolo was able to run everywhere, sweep everything up, and do whatever he needed to do to take care of the ball. And that was the best he could do. And it was great for us because Angolo Conte had basically won us that Premier League way back then in Antonio Conte's first season. And because of how strong Liverpool and um Liverpool and Man City are. I don't think Spurs are going to be there. But I feel like this pushes them ahead and might even push them into that third place spot because of with Arsenal having a good window, with Chelsea already being stronger than both teams, there is a competition for that top four. And of course Eric Ten Hogg coming into Manchester United. But if I'm being honest with you, I don't expect them to qualify for top four this season because I think there's gonna be an adjustment period. But, with that being said, I think this really helps them, elevate them above teams like Chelsea and Arsenal at the moment, which is going to be a relatively close race for them to be taught, all of them to be, you know, for the top five, and one of them has to miss out on Champions League football, and I think this Yves Basuma signing, for the value of it, is super good, because not only... Can they sign this great center midfielder who can go behind, beside, like, probably, I would think, Rodrigo Bentenker or Peel, or, or Hoiberg, that's a great pairing there, whichever one Conte decides to go for, but then it also allowed them to spend 60 million pounds on Richarlison, which I think is a really good player, I mean, maybe expensive a bit, but probably one of the best backup forwards in the league. Because that's what he's going to be. Because Dejan Kulicevsky going to play on the right wing. Richarlison plays best off the left wing. Or up front. And he's not going to displace either Kane or Son. But Kane or, and Son are both getting on a bit. And they've had a lot of responsibility over the past few years. So for both of them. It would be great if they could keep doing this. And keep succeeding. And I feel like they will. So. That's, those are basically my quick thoughts on those three e topics, and I just want to sign out here and say thank you for listening. If you've listened this far, I hope you enjoyed. This is the first Crusher Media football podcast. Um, come back for next week, we're going to be talking my Premier League predictions for this upcoming Premier League season, and maybe we'll throw in a few other extra side topics to it, but it's mostly going to be a Premier League predictions video. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited for this next season. Tell me in the comments what you're most excited for uh and follow my TikTok at Crusher Media Football 12.